0: What's up, guy? What's up, guy? Welcome back to the podcast, season two, episode two. I got some guests with me today to help me out with my my little topic. Um, I actually wasn't going to make this episode um, because I didn't. It was it wasn't on my schedule. But seeing that there's been some controversy with the uh, current situation, I thought it made sense, and I thought we could maybe spread some little education towards the masses that aren't aware about. Uh, why it is that there was such a strong reaction to the topic. So the topic at hand is I wanted to discuss discuss communism, uh, specifically in Cuba, but communism in general, and a restaurant trying to open up here in Miami called Cafe Havana. And there was a big outreach um, in regards to it. To help me out with this topic, I have Joel Waldman, which uh, interviewed me for CBS4 in regards to this issue. Uh, Joel, you want to give your...
1: Uh, how you doing, Joseway. So I'm a local reporter here with CBS4 News in Miami. I covered the story, and I uh, can tell you I got a crazy, crazy amount of reaction. Uh, my Twitter blew up uh, when I covered the story. We can get into the details of what the story was about. But um, outside of uh, the Russia-Ukraine war right now, definitely got the most reaction out of this story, uh, definitely, uh, I am not Cuban, but I cover the Cuban community a lot down here, and uh, definitely not the people you want to cross or upset, because you hear from them loud and clear, which lots, I did. Lots
0: of passion.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Tons of passion, and I and I understand it, and we'll get into the details of why.
0: Now, I know you also run a podcast. You want to tell the people
1: what about your podcast a little bit? Yeah, so I host a podcast with my 82-year-old mother, who's a Holocaust survivor, and the podcast is called Surviving the Survivor. You can find it at YouTube, at Surviving the Survivor, uh, on Instagram, and anywhere podcasts are found, Apple, Spotify, the whole deal. She's a character. She's a star of the show. Her name is Carmela. Call her Carm, call her mom, but uh, Surviving the Survivor. Check it out.
0: It's a really funny your name. Clever. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> I see. It must have been great growing up like that.
1: Yeah, it was wild. It's like being, I tell everyone, it's like being the, the uh, son of the little league coach. She's uh, nice to everyone, but hard on you, so, but it was all good. That's great. Yeah. I also have Marissa
0: and her husband, Joel. Hello.
2: Hi, guys.
0: Marissa's a contact, a digital content creator like myself, yeah. correct? Want to give you guys a... Yes.
2: Uh, yeah, well, uh, we saw your TikTok originally <laughs> on, <laughs> and I was like, oh my God, I have to do a TikTok about this, what, what happened? So I use my own platform that I have. We we are on TikTok and YouTube and Instagram, of course, to talk about it because it was like, it's so ridiculous that somebody would wanna open up a restaurant in the smack back in the middle of Miami uh, without any sort of cultural knowledge of, of, of Cubans and Cuban Americans inside the community. And so, um, yeah, we're just digital content creators and we're, what we're doing is I'm documenting the immigrant experience coming from Cuba. Yoel came from Cuba a year ago, actually today, a year ago today, yeah. oh. so this is one year anniversary. <laughs> and we're just documenting that whole shock from coming from a place from communism, his own whole entire life to coming to uh, 90 miles away where you have abundance, where you have, uh, you know, everything is just completely 180 degrees different. So that's what we're doing. And then when we saw your TikTok, we're like, oh, we have to talk about this. This no, is crazy. We
3: laugh. The most important thing we laugh is that uh, these people is crazy. Where you go, why you go to the the face of and you know baja la cara de Miami donde está la gente que realmente du- le duele que emigraron por no por necesidad, sino por obligación, porque los forzaron a ir de su país, de su tierra a tu poner un café con la foto de Fidel. Yeah, de che, saying... es un insulto, para mí es un insulto. Eso es como poner, vamos a poner entonces un restaurante con la cara de un restaurante alemán con la cara de Hitler. La foto de Hitler va a ponerlo ahí en la de eso en cualquier parte americana cuando el ejército americano luchó por eso.
2: It's just saying how crazy it is that, you know, you come to Miami and you put a face of Fidel. It's like oh, Right, it's like for Joel, uh, for Joel like, across from you. That's right. It's the same thing with the Jewish community. It's like putting a you know a Hitler sign somewhere. That's, that's
1: true. So can I can I ask you how did how did Joel how was he able to leave Cuba?
2: Oh, uh, I'm an American citizen, so I got him out with a K1 visa. So you know the whole 90 day fiance thing. That's that was our life.
0: Should have been on the show. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
2: <laughs> no,
0: no, no. Um, Marissa, I know that you spent um, some time in Cuba. Um, can you tell us about your experience as well as You, you know anything you can contribute? Obviously, you have. Yeah,
2: I yeah. I, well, I went back to Cuba when I was in a when I was 26, and I didn't expect to. I thought I was going to be there for a month, two months with my family, and what turned to one month, two months turned into five years. And it was very interesting for me because I have a political science background um, and I studied, that was my educational background was studying Cuba. I did my thesis on the US-Cuba relations and I went because everything was changing at that time. It was 2004, 15, 14. And, and everything was changing with the Obama administration opening up. And I wanted to see kind of like how that was affecting not only uh, Cubans, but people outside of this whole tourism area. So people like my family who live in Pina del Rio, which is further from Havana, uh, from that tourism capital, and see how that would affect it. And and I stayed there for five years, documenting a normal Cuban life, everything from people without no electricity, to the lines, to the rations, explaining to people a country that was very closed off for most of 60 years, right? We didn't really get a lot of information or day-to-day things and using the internet that had just come into Cuba at the same time.
0: Wow, what year was this?
2: 2015, the internet came into Cuba. Wow. Yeah, and so, um, you know, nobody was documenting anything back then. And I said, you know, there. Cuba is, is such an interesting place. Many people have an, an interest for the country. I'm going to document it. So that's what I did.
0: That's
1: awesome. How uh, how restricted is uh, the internet access there? I'm sure you can't get on whatever you want to get onto, right?
2: Well, there's actually, um, there's more freedom than, than you would think. It's Cuba is you know, obviously there's a lot of human rights issues in Cuba, but I wouldn't say Cuba is like as crazy as North Korea, right? So you do have a lot of, a lot more freedom in the internet use. So there is Facebook, there's Instagram, there's social media. There are some pages that they do block. So for example, Cibet Cuba, which is a news just about Cuba. It's a news organization. They just, they just do just Cuba. They block them. They block Joani um, Sanchez, which is a very famous dissident. Her uh, independent, independent um, website with all her news—they block that. So any that's, you know, very against the the, the revolution, they'll block.
3: It, uh, it's because you know it's porque un arma, es un arma que ellos no contaban con eso. Creían que abrir el internet eh, unirse al mundo exterior cosa que Fidel no quería porque sabía que era un, algo muy malo para él. Yeah. You know oh,
2: uh, he's just saying it's it's a it's a they they block the they block these certain pages because that's sort of like a a gun for people, right? Threat, so, right. Right. It's like an arm for the people to get more information, different types of information.
0: So before we continue, I wanted you to speak a little boor, more about the history of the Cuban Revolution, um, how it came about. Um, but before that, I wanted to go ahead and explain for those that don't that are listening that don't know about the Café Havana situation. So Café Havana is a restaurant that opened up in 1998 in New York City. Um, they have locations in Tokyo and Malibu. Um, they're oh, I think believe it's three men that that own them. Um, I'm not going to say their name names on the podcast. You guys can look them up if you want to. Um, so they tried to open, or they are opening up a branch here in Miami. Uh, these other locations, they glorify the inception of the Cuban Revolution. So the the restaurant is based after the original Cafe Habana in Mexico, where it is said that Che Guevara and Fidel Castro came up with the idea of the Cuban Revolution. Um, and a lot of a lot of their other um, branches, they have pictures of Che Fidel and they glorify all these communist ideologies. So you can see why um, opening up that restaurant in Miami where it is the home of Cuban exiles, um, they would be outraged. You know, like these Cubans, for example, we all have a, uh, every Cuban has a personal story. Um, I am Cuban American. I've never been to the island, but I grew up listening to these stories. My grandmother had butcher shops, lands, and farms that were all nationalized. My grandfather had a brother massacred on his own home from uh by the government because he stood against the revolution so like this every cuban has stories like this so in regards to this can you give us a little bit more background on how it is that the revolution started it's been around for what 65 years now
2: right right yeah i think um you know the cuban revolution just depends on who you ask right (laughs) everyone has their own perspective of what happened and what led up to the revolution i think I think it's safe. Why, well, because if you have people who sympathize with Fidel, they have their own version of the right. Cuban revolution. And if you
0: support it or if you don't.
2: Right. That's true. Right. And I but I think it's safe to say that I think there was a lot of things that were going on in the country at the time in the 50s that were upsetting people. And upsetting people enough to where uh, you know, they got this person to kind of rile them up. So I think it's safe to say that there were things that were happening in the country. There was a lot of corruption, maybe a lot of income inequality. And here comes this, you know, 20 year old semi good looking guy and saying, you know, we have to fix this. This has to be Cubans for Cuba, right? Uh, Not Cubans for Americans uh, or not Cuba for America. Mm -hmm. And so what happened was, is that, you know, just to give a brief kind of overview is that Fidel came in and with all these promises, but he never actually said he was a communist, right? He said, in fact, he gave an interview, famous interview in La Sierra Maestras, where he's saying, you know, I'm a capitalist. I I believe in capitalism as green as the palm trees. (laughs) In in serio, that's that's what he said. And and in, in Cuban, In Cuban form of speaking, that means you're a capitalist, like you want better for the country. So I think a lot of people at that time, because there was not as much education on what communism is, what socialism is, they had no idea. um, You know, these ideas were in fact, you know, tended to lean left, uh, extreme left. And so what happened was, is actually like, so Batista was the president at the time, and he was kind of pushed by the American government to be like hey you got to change like there's something going on where your country is not happy with you and and to put it like you know to 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 summarize it the you I think a lot of people don't really understand that the U.S. government kind of pushed Batista out which led to sort of a political vacuum where Fidel can march up into Havana and take the government. You know, there was no fight between Batista and Fidel. Fidel just walked in with a thousand men, a thousand men, which is not that many people. And, um, you know, took over government. and then slowly but surely, uh, you know, what was his position with capitalism turned into, hey, uh, I have to align myself with the Soviets and uh, I'm becoming a socialist.
0: And the shit hit the fan.
3: that's because United States giving to the back, he, you
0: know?
3: Yeah. Because yeah. the United States no, uh, knew uh, no is the Fidel Castro coming with the communism We said, okay, um, vamos Fidel. No lo se va unir, Fidel dice, well, yeah. no tengo ninguna apoyo para levantar el país. Bueno, tengo la Unión <coughs> Gigantesco, que tenía un poder enorme he
2: he just had to align himself with the Soviets because at that time Nixon who was the vice president was you know very weary about Fidel thinking he was a communist and so when Fidel couldn't get a support from the United States he went to the Soviets and that's where the whole you know, uh soviet style socialism turn uh, came in
0: and that's where the initial ties i'm guessing between russia and cuba were right. yes, yes yes
2: very much so yeah it was was in that sort of it was very quick too it was in between 1959 and 1961 62 where they kind of aligned themselves together
3: i believe i believe in russia is following fidel castro is the when he beginning to the fight in the sierra maestra i feel it's the 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 russian security the KGB. KGB, you know, maybe following the Fidel and waiting, you know, como si fuera algo de déjame esperar que sale de Cuba, porque, you know, United States and Russia is, is a Cold War, Cuba is 90 miles to Miami, 99 to United States. Right, right. I feel that the Russian security is following Fidel in that moment and, and waiting what happened.
2: Yeah.
0: Now, Yoel, I want you to explain a little bit, what are the current sta- what's the current state of Cuba? What's the day-to-day for, for civilians in 2022? What's, what's that looking like in terms of property, food, the works?
3: It's crazy, it's crazy man. It's crazy. It's really crazy. Mira, for example, in the, when the COVID beginning and that all sad uh, year, uh, I told her, uh, comía una vez al día I, I don't lie to you I comía una vez al día era difícil
0: because no food, you ate once a day because you couldn't find food or...
3: no no I, can, I we can go to the street we can go to the store because we don't have a store in Cuba in that time eh, eh,
2: he's asking comía una vez al día yeah. porque no había comida no había
3: comida ¿no? comida no había cómo ir a la tienda no te dejaban salir eh, you know y I tengo que decirlo así me duele pero mi mamá es eh, trabaja en la policía. Ella sabe las cosas que pasa, pero es una señora mayor, no va a hacer nada. Y ella está esperando que se retire. Y tenía la posibilidad de que a veces mmm, el gobierno le daba una jabita, alguito, y no, ella salvaba. Porque hay que ponerse en el lugar de la mamá, decir, bueno, tengo mis hijos, tengo que guardar para mí, para mis hijos. Entonces es difícil. Pero el, el día a día es, ¿qué vas a inventar?
2: so he's saying every day you have to just think about what what can you invent to to survive more food yeah yeah
3: because that doesn't all happen
2: yeah Yeah, i left cuba in 2020 right before the pandemic and it was really bad it was very bad in 2020 to find food so and when COVID hit he's saying that it was you know it's very hard very very hard to find things
3: Basic necessities. Um, you know, in our YouTube, uh, we see many, we saw many people, young people, United States young people talking to um, how like uh, the socialism, how like in Cuba, you know, and um, we like uh, mentimos. And in our
2: YouTube, we document him going to a market for the first time. I documented him I just you know was just following him with my camera so that when he was seeing everything for the first time a, a super oh, yeah, I
0: did see that that went viral. I didn't know I yeah. that was oh, he yeah yeah it was <laughs> us yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah it went
2: viral but it, like, oh it
1: went
2: it went viral in two different ways a lot of people uh like the Cuban community really resonated with it and then there was a whole half of the it went viral because people thought we were lying that Joel was lying yeah. and us as a community Cuban community you know that that's not true we've had right. so many relatives I roughly, I
0: like his hands on his on his head or
2: something
0: yeah. no it's crazy
3: yeah
2: and it was he was just like what,
3: what that, is this we're talking to the food in my high school is wor- it was really sad you know because in generalmente una escuela americana una escuela normalmente tú tienes tú escoges una serie de comidas, de tú vas con tu bandejita y nosotros lo vemos en the movie, you know. Dice, oh, "Wow, qué sería coger una lechita, un pancito o diferentes tipos de cosas." Y en my high school lo único que teníamos era un pan de este tamaño y quizás quizás por suerte gracias a Dios un día había leche, un día de quizás un 7 o 8 meses de de school y la comida era mala pero mala 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 mentira so he's
2: saying that when he was in you know when he was in Cuba you would see these movies where the high schoolers would get their little tray and they fill it up with food from the cafeteria and he said wow what would that be like because in 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 the high school in Cuba you get one little bread piece of bread and it's very it's stale. It's very horrible food, and uh, you know maybe you'll get milk. Maybe you'll get milk.
0: Good day, and, so,
2: and so in every everything in Cuba, you, you you live like that because the government says oh, it's because of the United States. It's because of the embargo, blah 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 blah. And it is that's your life? Is that you think that you're poor because of the United States?
1: I'm curious, so we talked about how the internet, like the advent of the internet in Cuba didn't really come on until, I think you said 2015. Once that happened, because prior to that, Cubans were really, for all intents and purposes, they were shut out from the rest of the world. They didn't really know what was going on. So since then, it must be this like awakening, right? You see all this stuff on social media, and Cubans must say to themselves, wow, there's a whole other world out there, what's going on? Does that become an issue inside of Cuba and a problem for yeah, the government?
2: Very much so. I think um, I think you know about the uh, July 11th protests. Yeah. Okay. So the July 11th protests. You know, on on that day, there was a huge mass protest around 40 different co- cities in the in the country, and I think that is a slow, very slow result of the internet opening up information uh coming in different visuals you know they see their family in Miami for the first time in their life on a video screen and they can see where they live they can see the target they can see Walmart they can see Home Depot right in front right and so
3: (laughs) it's funny and the Walmart video I have the friend in my neighborhood he texts me saying man and see you um for me what what no, what is what do you say? He say and see you in the warmer video. The friend in, in my neighbor, he said, why you see that? When he said, no, because I have another friend, and she she told me he told me man, you need to see the Q1 guy in warmer. When he <laughs> saw the video, he said fuck, this Joe, and he told me. He <laughs> told her mom. He told her mom the Said my mom cry, man, because he he saw you a video, yeah. and, he's, and she said, wow. These are real life.
2: Yeah, so. we don't
3: have this here, and, and that's a history.
1: When you came here, Joel. What was what was your first impression of America when you first got here? Um, the food. food? <laughs> you like yeah. pizza? What kind of food?
3: Oh, everything, everything. You know, when you uh, my first was in Miami, I, and you know, I, everybody in Cuba <laughs> go to Miami the first time. Y cuando te choca a la. Cuántos restaurantes, comida, diversos lugares, países. Mira,
2: algo insane. He's saying how many restaurants of different cultures there are He's and insane. how many restaurants there just are. That's
1: interesting. It wasn't it wasn't about the Ferraris. It was about the food. That's interesting. <laughs> the
3: Ferraris, <laughs>
1: crazy <laughs> It's crazy. Man. It's crazy.
2: Our, our our first night in Miami was a little crazy because uh, crazy. my family has a place in Miami Beach. And you guys all know about Miami Beach. It's a little, it's a little it's a hot mess. And so his first night in the first hour in the United States, we were in Miami Beach in mahina They like people twerking on the side in the middle of the road. It's it was a crazy. lot, a
0: lot to walk into.
3: Oh yeah. A lot of information for me because excuse <laughs> Then tres, cuatro días, me la cabeza. literally i told you that's true i, bet. I have the headache creating yeah because a lot of information in my mind the car the the building the light the people the dress everything and one time they say wow i can do it. i can do it literally i have a headache isn't that that's a really life.
1: Concept? It's wild it's crazy it's insane i kind of uh, i grew up outside new york city and I remember I have little kids, and I brought them the first time to see Manhattan, and it's Joel. Have you been to Manhattan? No, I want to go. make sure you bring the camera. My my kids, they still talk about. It. They can't believe how big the buildings are, you know. But but Miami's Miami's become a big city, so you get a you get an idea here at least, but. Yeah. So it's
2: sort of like Americans going to New York for the first time if they're not from there. That's and it. you're like, wow, that kind of shock. But just it's imagine yeah. 10 times worse, <laughs> 10 times bigger.
3: Uh, the menu that, you know, my mom, one day my mom mm, called me in the phone. And that time we we ate something in the in the in one restaurant. I forget the name of the restaurant. And, and she told me, uh, what do you eat? I said, uh, so, mom, we have in the menu 120 sinks she say, a hundred yeah mom, a hundred twenty
2: so yeah that's it uh, here is normal
0: Mind blowing. yeah
1: there are restaurants in cuba though right you can go to a restaurant in cuba or no oh, yeah, yeah, yeah there's yeah, restaurants that's,
2: that's it that's one thing that the government uh kind of liberalized was restaurants but is it only like for the wealthy no there's restaurants for everyday cubans as well but Most Cubans, like most Cubans don't go to a restaurant every day or once a week. I mean, it's a very special occasion. That's true. That they go to a restaurant. That's
0: true. So, Joel, I really want your outside perspective because I know we speak with this with passion because we're emotionally involved, right? And it's emotions got into play and sometimes you're not as objective. So, but you live in Miami, you've been around the Cuban community. What's your take on... How much of this did you already know, or what do you, as, as an objective outside view, you know, how do you feel about, what do you see, what's your perspective on it?
1: Yeah, so I, for full disclosure, I worked here back in 2005, and then I left and I, I went, actually I worked for uh, a channel that most Cubans here love, Fox News Channel, um, <laughs> so I'm a, I'm a hero here, other places <laughs> I'm a zero, but um, listen, I, I love Miami, and I love it because of you know, the culture, Mm -hmm. um, and the Cuban community, you know, it's, uh, it's so eclectic here. I mean, you really feel like you're, they say New York City is a melting pot, but I really feel like Miami is a true melting pot, at least for, you know, the Latin community, Latin America. Um, And I I get it. Um, You know, all, a lot of different groups of people have been persecuted. Um, The Cubans have been through hell and back with uh, what happened in you know, with uh, Fidel and his regime. And you see what's going on right now in Ukraine with Russia. Um, And I'm sure Joel has his thoughts on that as well about, um, you know, basically this communist dictator now having his way in World War II. And that kind of comes full circle because my mother is a Holocaust survivor and she is – very frightened about what's happening right now so tell us a little more about that experience whatever you feel comfortable sharing yeah so oppressed groups in general just hear your your side of yeah so my mom was uh one of the it's funny you asked me about carol baskin i had carol baskin from tiger king on our podcast reviving the survivor and one of the things that my mother and carol baskin one of the conclusions they came to that both tigers and Holocaust survivors are now endangered species. So there's, <laughs> there's very few Holocaust survivors left. My mother was very young when the war broke out. Her father was taken from her, my grandfather, right in front of her. And my grandmother had uh, cut a hole in the fence, and they literally ran out. And my mother was hidden by um, Catholic nuns in an all-boys school. Jesus, And that's how she survived. So... Um, she was there for about eight months before she was reunited with my grandmother, and my grandfather was gassed in Auschwitz. So, um, he, you know, I never got to meet my grandfather, obviously. And it seems like, you know, 25 lifetimes ago, um, but it's only one generation. But history, like they say, repeats itself, right? And uh, my mother's, you know, very concerned about what's going on, like I said, in Europe now, because it's basically, in a lot of ways, how World War II started, And some people are saying now that already this is the beginning of what could be World War III because they're talking about, you know, implementing no-fly zones and things like that in um, Ukraine. And if a no-fly zone, if something went wrong there, it could trigger, you know, a world war. So a lot of similarities. And, you know, people who are oppressed, whether it's Cubans, whether it's Jews, whether it's Ukrainians, they share that common thread of, you know— kind of despair and not knowing if there's going to be light at the end of the tunnel. But, um, you know, one thing about the survivor community, the Holocaust survivors, they always somehow remain very optimistic that there would be a a bright future. And a lot of them came to America and uh, did that. They created a bright future for themselves. Um, You know, my mom being one of them, Um, she created a really good life for herself with my dad without really anything. My dad came out of the depression in New York. So everyone's dealing with, I think, some element of oppression uh, in their lives in one form or another. And uh, I guess the kind of the common thread, at least in our podcast, is, you know, how do you, de- how do you handle adversity? How do you come through it to see the other side? And, uh, you know, that's, that's a mental game and, uh, and ha- how you play it um, in your mind. So it takes a lot of strength, but, you know, I definitely empathize with the Cuban community. You definitely have to keep some sort
0: of optimistic kind of humor about it all. Like, there's no way. How do you get out of
1: something dark? You know what I mean? It's My mom has a great sense of humor. It's, she the, only says way, it. it's the only way. Yeah, she, she always says she has a black black humor. She she finds, uh, she finds makes fun of a lot of very dark things, but it's, it's one way to, to get around it, you know? Yeah. Yeah.
2: Does politically, does she tend to be more right or... More left.
1: So when she was younger, when I was a kid, she was definitely more kind of liberal, um, leaned left. But now that she's she's 82, uh, definitely, definitely a little more right wing, a little that, more. That seems to be the case. with yeah, most people she, start. Yeah, <laughs> she uh, she has a lot less tolerance um, and feels like a lot of the liberal policies haven't worked to help people who really need the help. So. Um, she's definitely, I have to rein her in a little bit. She says some crazy stuff now. So, um, so, uh, but yeah, she's, she leans a little bit right. And, you know, it's interesting because the Cuban community definitely, definitely leans way right. And, uh, like I said, I work for Fox News Channel. And when the com- people in the Cuban community find that out, they're, you know, really curious to talk to me. Um, and I, and I totally get their perspective. I just wish, like, my personal wish is that things weren't so political, but there's no way, you know, it's a, it's kind of a vicious cycle. It's hard to get out of that cycle. Um, And, and personally, I just, for me, it's like, I go issue by issue, you know, Um, like socially, there's this, I don't want to go crazy and way off track here, but there's a, a don't say gay bill going on in Florida right now, where you're not, they're trying to pass a law, which I think is going to pass today, um, where you're not allowed to bring up anything related to your sexual orientation in school. And to me, that takes it a step far. Those are, you know, it's right-wing um, ideology, but um, I digress. So I don't know. I mean, I think politically, like, it just depends on the issue, but I certainly see the, the, the Cuban perspective and and kind of leaning right when it comes to issues and policies related to Cuba.
0: Now, I also wanted to run something by you both and see your opinion on things. I
1: recently, I've been
0: very vocal about, you know, this restaurant being disrespectful. And personally, I don't want it to open up. um, And I've been very vocal about its lease not being accepted, its lease being canceled, not allowing the restaurant to open up, because I, I feel it is disrespectful. I created a petition about it. Some people agreed with it. Some people did not. Some people, you know, agree with the fact that it's egregious that it shouldn't even be accepted. The community should stand up and not allow them to to open up. And others have said, "Well, then you're kind of doing the same thing that you know a a dictator would do. Let the free market do its thing." So I would like to hear both of your perspectives on on that, Marissa.
2: Uh Uh, I absolutely 100% support the community voluntarily pressuring the owners i'm i'm not I don't even remember his name the owners to shut down the problem that i have is when you get government to do it and uh, that's an issue that i have that i see very the same ethos in communism as i see here i don't think the government should get involved in saying that a person cannot can or cannot open up a business because of their political affiliation or because uh, you know, they support Fidel. Uh, I do though think that the free market is cancel culture in a way. Um, and the free market can say, no, we're not allowing this to happen. We're gonna boycott every single day. We're gonna, you know, if you do open, we're gonna be there every single night, all through the hours to pressure people to not come into your restaurant. And then they would be forced to to shut down. That I do agree with I thing I th- think the thing that I do not agree with is the government doing that for the community. I think that that is a fine line that I. I see a lot of common similarities with with uh, the dictatorship with. okay, uh, And it's a slippery slope, because then, if, if you know, if that's OK, the government does that, you know, that, who else are we going to target? Then you know, what if you know? What if R- Miami becomes blue, and then they'll start targeting Republicans, right, or right-leaning owners of businesses? So, I you know, it's a fine line.
1: Yeah, I, th- I think the exact same thing. I mean, I think it's uh, Marissa said it best. It's a slippery slope. If if you start to uh, like pull a permit, you get the city to okay. pull the permit. Um, I think that the Cuban community is strong enough that um, capitalism. Which is what Fidel is adamantly opposed to. Well, I think capitalism will will solve the problem because I don't think you know Cubans are going to um, patronize a restaurant. I don't think they're going to go. The problem with Miami it's a huge tourist community, and there uh, a lot of them are ignorant to the plight of the Cubans. And so, I mean, my my fear is that people are going to have no clue. They're going to be in brickle. They're going to see. Cafe Habana, they're going to be like, oh, it's a Cuban restaurant. And they're going to go in and they're going to support it. So there is that aspect where, and look, there's a restaurant in Malibu. Um, so, you know, you're yeah, you getting, guys
0: went there, right? To the yeah, Malibu location. I, I grew
1: up near Malibu, so i oh. always known about it. Yeah. I don't want to name names, but I will. So one of the owners is actually Cindy Crawford's husband. Yeah. Um, and he owns one of the locations, I, th- I think the Malibu location. But, you know, there's going to be tourists that go. I think that they are. Um, they're probably rethinking their decision to move here, but I, you know, I have no idea what the situation with their leases or, or, uh, legally what they're bound by. It looks like they're going to open. Um, I haven't been down there since I did the story, but I think I know there was signage up on everything's the Everything's still up. Yeah. yeah. Everything's still up. So my guess is they're going to open. And when they do, uh, people like Jose, I'm sure is going to, uh, they're going to protest it. We'll cover it, um, as part of, uh the media, and it's going to, I'm sure, create a lot of buzz, and, you know, I think Cubans are going to be, obviously, adamantly opposed. Um, your mother, or your grandparents, and Marissa, your parents, are not going to, obviously, patronize the restaurant, I don't think, and a lot of other Cubans will not, but it's its going to be interesting to see how it plays out, but again, I don't think the solution is getting the city of Miami involved in, in pulling permits, because then you're becoming fidel yourself, right, to a degree. And, in- The way I see it is like, let me pull those pyramids. (laughs)
0: I completely see this side and it makes complete sense. And I I see the reasoning, but I guess where I'm kind of, uh, where's the gray area where it would be considered, for example, you made a, you made a good, um, example earlier. If this was a restaurant with Nazi inspired themes within a Jewish community, this wouldn't, it would not fly. It would not fly. Yeah it would be immediately cut. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Because it's a hate crime. It's considered a hate crime. Mm-hmm. So it's not like a dick measuring contest of which oppressed group is like, you know, because I'm not out here saying, oh, the the Cuban oppression is greater than the Armenian genocide mm-hmm. or you know what I mean? It's where is the line as to, I mean, these were cold blooded killers, right? Uh, mm-hmm. Massacred thousands you know, of, of Cubans. Where is the line that it's considered, oh, well, this is also a hate crime. You know, you're opening up a restaurant
1: within a Cuban community of the people that oppressed and killed many of them. That's a great point. Like if they're opening up a restaurant called uh, Cafe Adolf and there was a picture of Adolf Hitler, it wouldn't it wouldn't fly. They wouldn't let it open, I don't think. There'd be too much public pressure. So it's a, it's a, it's a good, it's a fair point, you know. Um, fair point. Uh,
2: Marissa, yeah.
1: you want to take that one? I'm, I'm, yeah, uh, I
2: think it's a fair point. I think it also points to a larger issue that we have as a Cuban community is that the revolution is very much romanticized all over the world. Mm -hmm. Cubans, I feel like we're always like fighting for, no, but this is how it is. This is how, you know, we're always gaslighted. And I don't think Jews have that that problem as much with Hitler because Hitler is like, you know, Hitler is like the standard of how horrible a dictator could be. Right. Um. But Fidel doesn't have that. Fidel has a better, rosier picture.
0: it out too, in, uh, in Europe. I know
1: they glorify him.
2: Like yeah,
0: everywhere. I think yeah.
1: a lot of liberals glorify <clears throat> him. Look, yeah. look I, on the side of the the restaurant in New York City. There's a huge mural of Biggie Smalls.
0: Oh, commandante
1: Comandante, Comandante Biggie. Biggie. So they there is a glorification yeah. of Fidel's. You know, thinking his ideology and, and Che Guevara as well. There's definitely sort of an ideology. You don't see that with Hitler ever. There's no there's there's no romanticizing of that whatsoever. So that I mean, Jose brings up an interesting point. Um, but again, I think uh, it's guys like Jose and you, Marissa, who are going to make the difference. Um, it sounds cliche, but it's going to take a, a you know public opinion and social media, the power of social media to today, sway. which you have to sway people's thinking. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. My thing is, is also Miami's, this is all happening at a
0: very interesting time in Miami because Miami's changing very quickly. We know Miami is now the capital of the United States. Basically everybody's flying in either vacationing here or living here, or buying out. Lots is changing. In Miami, the market is insane and the traffic is insane. So to me, it's not, it goes beyond the restaurant. It's not even just because of the influence the restaurant has, but it sets the precedence. Join our community from wherever you're coming from, but respect our community. You know, If we let it fly, then what else is going to sneak in? You know what I mean? And it's, it's, it won't be long until you look around and you're like, what, what is Miami? This is not the place that it was five years ago. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean?
2: that's going to happen regardless unfortunately
0: it, no i mean it's 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 definitely going to change but i feel like maybe as a community we can sway how far it changes or you know like to what extreme it, it changes yeah i mean
1: I,
2: I i think the whole community is also uh, a monolith either you know we have different there's you know there there's Cuban Democrats and there's Cuban oh, socialists, oh, yeah. which is crazy, which I have discovered after this whole July 11th protest, there are Cuban socialists, which I'm like, okay, what are you doing living in Miami? But, <laughs> but I think it's going to happen. I think, unfortunately, when I was little, when I was younger, I, I went to, you know, I'm not from Miami, but, you know, obviously I'm very tied to Miami and just seeing it from when I was younger to now, I mean, I can't even believe how much it's grown how different it is and yeah but i think there has to be some sort of i think that comes from the community it doesn't really have to come from government necessarily i can tell you this
1: i've I've had the fortune so i grew up near manhattan i worked in new york in manhattan a long time i worked in washington dc covering trump for fox news and i worked uh, and lived in los angeles um and now miami there is there is no community like the Cuban community in in any of these places. Um, it's just such a vibrant like. When I come to Miami, I feel like it's like a like a heartbeat. It's just like the city is literally pulsing because it and a, and a big part of that is uh, the Cuban the Cuban community is just super energized, super alive. I mean, you saw it during the election. Um, again, very pro Trump. Um, during the election, pro-Republican. But you could, you could, like, it's it's sounds like a cliche, but it's palpable. Like, you can feel it here, and you don't feel it the same way necessarily in other cities. Um, and so I think the Cuban community will take care uh, of itself. With that said, as the son of a Holocaust survivor, like, you always have to... One thing my mother always does do is she kind of has her guard up. She's always got, like, a paranoia, like... This could happen again. Like, what's going on in Ukraine right now? This could happen again. Are, could the Nazis come again? So I think, way. I think you bring up a good point. Like, you know, one cafe at Mana is not a big deal, but does that turn into two or three or something bigger? Right. And I think, you know, it's up to guys like you, young guys who are aware of this stuff, um, and people like Marissa to kind of keep a guard up for it, you know? And, and trying to educate, the, too, yeah, you know? Yeah, yeah. Education is huge, you know, and, uh, but I, I have a, as a non-Cuban, I have a very strong faith in the Cuban community because they have such a, over, they have such a strong um, understanding of where they've come from, you know, I, re- I really get, I go to a lot of, unfortunately for me, I go to a lot of city hall meetings, <laughs> and, I mean, and and you just see, like, the back and forth. I mean, a character like Joe Carollo has been a commissioner in Miami for yeah. 40 years. But The, you do, God, I, the godfather. Yeah, but I, <laughs> admi- I admire the passion. I'll tell you that. Um, There's definitely passion. I'll oh, my God. That, yeah. yeah, but you see it. I mean, you see it. It's real. It's it's, it's undeniable. You don't always agree with the stuff he says. But um, but that I feel like that passion permeates the whole city. So, thank you, guys. Yeah, you know,
2: I, I agree. I think... Uh, Jewish, the Jewish community and the Cuban community have so so much in common because we're very strong and uh, centrally focused. We're very much together. And I'm so excited that you, you're on the podcast as well, because I think that there's so many similarities between our two communities. I don't know how much. Yeah, I don't know how much.
1: There are a lot of Cubans in Miami. Yeah. Oh, yeah.
2: Yeah, as well as well. <laughs> what
1: I just found out that I didn't even know. No, so my my grandparents lived in Romania when World War II broke out. So my grandfather had nine brothers and sisters. Only three survived the Holocaust out of the nine. But uh, my uncle couldn't get to America. He actually uh, immigrated to Cuba, and he was. Um, so my grandfather, I didn't know this till recently. He uh, was a tobacco picker in Cuba oh, before wow. he came to America. Spoke fluent Spanish and lived in Cuba. This is, you know, before the revolution, but... Um, Look at your, where you yeah, ended up. Yeah. <laughs> I never knew. So my my dad still has... That. My dad has, this is wild, has Cuban cigars, like, in the container from, like, 1940-something. Can you still smoke those? I don't know. Probably not. Find out. <laughs> yeah, I <will>. <laughs> <laughs> They're somewhere. Yeah.
2: I don't know how much traveling uh, you've done, but... For me, like within all of the Latin community, I think, you, you, not to like to our own horn, mm-hmm. and maybe you can cut this out, but um, I think Cuban community is like the strongest Latino community in the United States by far. Like very, very much like in tune with everything that, you know, from politically to financially, ju- just like the Jewish people, the Jewish community. I think it's
0: is. a product of that oppression. You know what I, I mean? I think
2: so. Yeah, I but
0: think.
2: but you know, the all the, many other Latinos have had that as well, like the Nicaraguenses, like the Venezuelans. Now
0: they're not as, um, tight-, as tight knit. I think, in my opinion, like, I don't, I don't, I don't think the other other Latino communities, at least that I've that I've seen, are as tight knit. Is what I'm saying.
2: Yeah, it's incredible to see because I think we, when we came here in the '50s, like when the, that first exile community, I think we very much set up like hey, we're going to be involved in politics in this country. Uh, Cubans have such huge political power. And we're not even the majority of the Latinos. You know, the majority of Latinos are Mexicans and Central Americans. And the Cuban power, just like the Jewish power politically, mm-hmm. is so incredibly strong. And I think that has a test to our our our, uh, our uh, fabric in the community.
0: That's a really good point, yeah.
2: Yeah, because you come to LA and nobody speaks Spanish. Nobody speaks Spanish in LA. I mean, you have you know, you have these, the Mex, the Mex Latino people, you think that they're Latino, they speak Spanish and they don't speak Spanish to you. In Miami, that would never fly. You have to speak Spanish. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how you're doing it, living here without speaking Spanish. <laughs> I
1: don't get by. But you speak some, right? <laughs> I speak very little, very, very little. My dad, my dad makes the joke. The best thing about Miami is it's so close to America. <laughs>
0: <laughs> All right, guys, great, great combo today. You guys you guys were stellar. Thank, thank you. Thank you for having this conversation with me. Hey, thanks for having us. Of course. Um, I hope everybody listening or watching learned a thing or two. Um, Joel, you want to give your listeners your, your plug, where they can follow you, see more of you?
1: 100%. So it's Joel Waldman. The podcast is Surviving the Survivor. Marissa, you better subscribe today. I've got right su- right Surviving <laughs> the Survivor on YouTube and wherever podcasts are found, Apple, Spotify, you name it, we're there, and survivingthesurvivor.com. Check it out.
0: Beautiful.
2: Marissa? Uh, we're on YouTube as Joel and Mari, and you guys could subscribe to our YouTube there, uh, on TikTok as well, and Instagram. So we're on all the social media, but we're mainly doing a lot of uh, YouTube content right now of uh, Yoel and I doing different activities we've never done in, in our lives. So it's exciting. So if you guys want, please subscribe.
0: Good shit. Alrighty. Thank you, guys. Thank we you. Appreciate Gracias. it. Thanks
2: for having
0: us on. Of course. That's all the time we have for today. Como siempre, have yourselves a good day. Y no se metan con nadie para que nadie se las meta. Peace out. One more time to that camera. Thank you, Marissa. Thank you, I guys. I hope everything was oh, good. Oh, wait. Sorry. On that side? One more time oh, to that. sorry. <laughs> what did I say? <laughs> <laughs> the is the last part. Oh, uh, fuck. Uh. uh all right, guys. That's all the time we have for today. And as always, have yourselves a good day. You know, con nada. para que nadie se las meta. Peace out.